Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. Subscribe. And with another installation of the Driven Society Podcast. And we have the founder of the Cyber Collective Organization, uh, Ms. Tazin Khan. Hello. Awesome. Awesome. We're so happy to have you on. Um, um, shout out to Aquarius for connecting us. Um, AK. Yep, that's my guy. And um, it's just so interesting what you do, um, number one, um, because we're in a time of, you know, technology, of us sharing information. Sometimes we share information freely um, across these different platforms, and we really don't know exactly who has access to this information. And to see a millennial stand up and take that position to, like, give us that clarity and and talk about mindfulness and this cybersecurity and tech space is, is amazing. So first, I just want to commend you on the, you know, the work you've been doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Well, take us back, take us back to, you know, where you're from. Um, and yeah, how did you uh, get into this industry, into this space? Yeah, I am a Bengali immigrant. I was raised in Queens, in Astoria, and now living in Brooklyn. Um, I got into this space in a really um, kind of unique way. I was working at the outlet mall, and this woman came in, and she looked so amazing. Her man was carrying her bags. I was like, yo, what do you do? How do I do it? And she told me she was in cybersecurity. And I had no idea what that meant. I was, I think, 18 or 19. And um, I was really young. And so I was in my last semester of school. I emailed her every month until she hired me. She hired me about seven months later. Um, and then I started in business development and I did sales. And over the course of 10 years, or it took about seven years to get myself into a technical space where I started doing a lot more practitioner work. Um, yeah, that's how it started. I was, I was just wanted to be like her and just curious was she bengali as well too like the representation matters across the board it was just something about her style that just intrigued you like yo she's dope she was it was just more so it was her style she had like prada bag she was wearing high knee boots with like her top and it was she just had an aura about her that was so strong and there was like extreme feminism and then to hear that she's in a technical space and we talked about I'm like I don't code I really don't like math and she said no I'm in sales and you just sold me so I ended up selling her way more than she wanted to buy she came to the counter with a wallet and I like walked her back out the store I was like hey let's try this again and uh, you didn't meet me then and I ended she ended up purchasing I think like that was the biggest commission that I had at that Michael Kors. It was like $4,000 worth of merchandise that I sold her. And so that was pretty much my interview process with her. And then she put me on her sales team. And then eventually I worked my way into business development and then technical consulting. And now I'm a practitioner. Boy, that's dope. I'm always, always saying that too, because it's like, I never heard it from that point of view. Like, um, that's like every hustle story, right? Franz, like, yo, you see... <laughs> Guy down the block with the, you know what I mean, with the you know, fur and looking clean and like, oh, what does he do? You know what I mean? So like that's right. hearing from your. He basically role. had the the tech version of coming of age. You know, I just thought about. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but yeah, pretty much. I even sent her before she hired me. I sent her a pack of now and later's, and I said, nah. "Do you want to hire me now or later?" <laughs> oh, oh, that was smooth. You you, were, you took a page out of. That was smooth, right? That was smooth, yeah. 
I, that was really, um, I was, I was really broke and I wanted a job and it was a salary job. And so. I hear that. Well, I love that. What gave you like, you know, the, um, uh, the gumption or just the, you know, the, 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 um, the courage to even, a lot of people see opportunity of like, yo, that's nice, but they never follow suit because they feel like it's out of their scope or they're intimidated. What made you, was it just like, yo, I need to get this money or you just, you just always been a confident or you've been taught that through your parents or another role model? Um, I think it's just been, I've always been shameless and I have, I'm the youngest sibling. So I've always had to be very vocal about the things that I need and want um, and fight for my share of stuff because I was the last one to get things. Um, my father is a freedom fighter. And I think that too, he always taught us to stand up for other people. And when you see something, say something type deal. Um, and so I think that's what really built it. And my whole thing is, what do you what do you have to lose, right? And I was already, I was introduced to a commission-based work style and that incentivized me. And so you don't, you know, you just got to ask for what you want. And then I continued to follow up because she just told me that if you're in cybersecurity, you can have a salary of $90,000. You can make a lot of money. And that's really what drove me and pushed me to chase her. Right. I just think that's fire. That's just a fire message. Like when it's time to when you're trying to level up your life, when you're trying to really get it, there's no ego when it's yeah. time multiple times. So I, I really uh I really respect that. So yeah, that's um amazing. So talk to us about what the cyber collective is and exactly what you do right now. Yeah, absolutely. So the Cyber Collective is an organization that's pretty much rooted in spreading awareness and privacy and security for millennials. And other generations as well. But our group of uh, cohorts and peers, we're social entrepreneurs, we are digital marketers, we're creatives and driving the needle forward in so many different industries and pioneering different ways. But no one uh, gives a shit about cybersecurity (laughs) because nobody understands what cybersecurity is. And outside of Cyber Collective, for my day job, I work in governance, risk, and compliance. So my job is to study various policy and then go to my enterprise clients and basically do product architecture mapping with them. Like, hey, your security infrastructure looks like X. Based off of your risk profile that I audit, you need Y. And then Z is me coming together and pulling either services, products, or depending on a methodology, if they don't have any policy or any cybersecurity, anything implemented, I tell them what direction to go through because there are various frameworks that people can follow depending on their industry as well. Um, and one thing that I learned and the reason Cyber Collective uh, was born um, was because so many small to medium-sized businesses get hit with audit fees. So they're not compliant. And then the government's not, they're not making anybody aware that this needs to happen, but then they will audit you. And if you don't have any security measures in place, it's a lot of money. It's really expensive. And then on top of that, people are just getting hacked left and right. (laughs) Everyone. And if you don't have correct security protocol, your intellectual property, your entire business, your identity, your social media, everything, your entire livelihood um, can get got. And so Cyber Collective's motto is don't get got, (laughs) get psycho. And um, we 
pretty much are just rooted in uh, creating community events to help people with security and privacy while doing research um, to help push a lot of these methods and consumer direct information into these enterprises uh, to start some more dialogue on creating technology with consumer ethics in mind. Mm. Oh, that's great because you, you, you're exactly right. That is not something that millennials we're talking about. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's not sexy enough or whatever, but it's like, it's not, we're not talking about cybersecurity a lot, but really that's exactly how we're making our money and how our lifestyles all on the internet. So you said something that's interesting. So you said these small to medium sized businesses are, they have to have some level of cyber, cyber, cyber security protocols in their business structure. What exactly do you mean by that? And um, if they don't, they can actually get audited by the government. What type of companies have to look out for those type of things? And what's the first step in getting like, making sure you're protected as a small business or, you know, uh, 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 an independent contractor that yeah. deals, you know, other clients. Sure. So the protocol, cybersecurity, a lot of people, you know, they think that it's the cool hacker stuff and all of the technology that comes with it. But cybersecurity is really, I would say, 80% policy. And small businesses and medium-sized businesses, depending on how much revenue that they're occurring, depending on what type of data they have within the organization, if mm. they're collecting personal information, if they are um, doing transactions, if you have an e-commerce site, you have to follow uh, something called PCI compliance. Um, and then there's obviously PI data, which is just personal information data, and there's compliance around that. More compliance is building around it. So those are two small examples of compliance that must be in place. And the reason it doesn't end up being on the forefront and why this kind of, it's been a miss for many small to medium-sized businesses is because there are so many third-party resources that exist. So we assume that they carry the responsibility of cybersecurity. So I'm a business, I'm using Squarespace, I'm going to use their e-commerce platform. I am signing terms and conditions that probably I didn't read <laughs> or no one read. And I am assuming that Squarespace is going to keep me safe and secure. But if you did read Squarespace's privacy policy and terms and conditions, the liability is on you. Mm. So if Squarespace gets breached and then you potentially guess, get breached, that's on you. If you mm. get breached or something happens because you didn't have the right policy in place because the policy helps you have the plan, right? Um, then you can get breached as well. And the first place that people can go um, is just literally cybersecurity for small business on Google. And then depending on what vertical you are, depending on what genre your company lives in, right? Whether you're creative, whether you're a digital marketing platform, or if you're a tech company, an app developer, um, mm. it, it, there's so much information that's available just at first Google. The Cyber Collective website is relaunching um, and we are going to have an entire navigation where if you're a small business, if you're looking for awareness, if you are looking for consulting or any services, we're going to direct you specifically to black and brown owned businesses um, that are specific to security and privacy. So that is a resource that's also coming on the Cyber Collective site. But 
you can all, I mean, simply just Googling it. It sounds terrible to say, but it's that easy, right? Um, And you'll be able to navigate based off of what you need on your business. Dope, dope. In terms of exposure, can you talk to us a little bit about the on-ramps for um, potential uh, malfeasance? For example, like cell phones now are probably the more um, the the more susceptible piece of hardware when it comes to hacking. Can you talk about how one can um, be more careful on their phones or what have you to kind of prevent these uh, instances from happening? Yeah, it's so you know it. I it's hard to put it into a. 20 minute podcast of, or a short one, two, three of what exactly you can do to stay secure. Um, it, and the way that I like to talk about it is really understanding, being mindful and really understanding and becoming aware about security and privacy. That is a lot of the first step of prevention because it's not necessarily that somebody can get direct access on your hardware, your device, right? There are a lot of parameters and protocols in place through Android and Apple. It's really your decisions that you make online doing stuff that make you susceptible to some sort of malware or bad thing happening, which is clicking a link you shouldn't have clicked or downloading something because you thought someone else sent it to you. You thought somebody that you know sent it to you, um, right? So it's the... uh, the phishing, what, what we call in our industry, phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And they're basically just uh, social engineering attacks that use your information against you. And because everything is so public on social media, you know, you're uh, just thinking about the types of security questions that are on everything. They ask you like, what's your high school mascot? What's your, the last four digit of your social security? What's your mother's maiden name? All of that is public information now. When they first invented security questions, it probably wasn't public information, but now it is. And um, a hacker could just go on your social media if you have a public profile. If you have a picture of your high school alma mater or your college alma mater or something like that or mascot, and then they know that you use AT&T because maybe you complained about your cell phone service one day and you took a screenshot. And then they also just look up your name and your phone number and then they make a quick call to AT&T and they say, yo, I got a new phone. Can you switch the SIM over for me real quick? And AT&T, if the person on the other end of the line also has a lack of awareness because think about how much actual help you really get when you call any of these customer service lines, right? People, it's how convincing you are is how you can get someone to do something. It's building that trust. And so then the line is switched over to another phone and boom, um, no one had to actually do anything to get into your phone, but now your SIM exists on an entirely different phone that has all of your passwords, all of your applications with and they didn't even need to know a password. So that's just one example and mm-hmm. method. And that's why when I'm asked the question, like, what, what can I do specifically? I try to um, steer away from that a little bit and talk more about the philosophy and like the mindfulness around security and privacy. Because I, no ma- if I tell you get a password management tool, okay, great. But 
if you're clicking stuff that you shouldn't click and you're downloading things and you're not being cognizant and you don't know that, hey, I probably should copy and paste this link before I download it. Um, Franz never would never send me a free Amazon gift card. So why would I download this? You know? Yeah. Long-winded answer, but I hope nah, that makes, makes sense. That was a good answer because, you know, come to think of it, right? Like, you have to take your um, learner's permit test and driver's license test to be able to drive. Like, we just get exposed to the internet and it's like, here you go. You know, there's no, I, I don't remember the last time I might have taken a, um, a course or like a workshop on just behavior on the internet, you know? Um, I, you know, I know I used to give my computer all types of <laughs> viruses as a kid, fucking around with like LimeWire and Kazan and shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I could, that is a good point that you made up about, you know, behavior and stuff. In terms of um, the, the identity portion right now, like, you know, since um, the epidemic has kind of popped off, a lot of conversation has been going in the, you know, the touchless direction, right? And at that juncture, people are going to want to do more and more, um, you know, have more of a frictionless experience. And identity is definitely included in that. Um, what is kind of the, uh, I, I guess, the, the market conversation on, on your tier about, you know, protecting identity and have it, you know, be a functional uh, piece of, you know, moving forward in a, in a touchless society? Yeah. Um, another, another loaded question for me because there's so many layers to this shit, right? I I think there are two elements and I'm going to start and it's going to sound like I'm not answering the question, but I promise I'm going to bring it back. So security and privacy are two completely separate things. And a lot of times we lump them together. Cybersecurity is the protection of an actual infrastructure and a network. It's the protection of hardware, right? Privacy is what you think it is, it's privacy. We live in a society where we almost have zero privacy anymore. And cybersecurity exists, but on an enterprise level. And that's why the agency or the responsibility, we haven't assumed that it's reached the consumer yet. I mean, when we were using LimeWire and stuff like that, there was Norton antivirus, there was like McAfee and cement, like the, the antivirus that you put on your computer that was not expensive that we all bootlegged off of LimeWire <laughs> and put on our computers anyway. Um, so I mentioned those two things because of my thoughts around the fingerless and frictionless type of dynamic that we're moving into. I don't fuck with any of it. I don't like, I don't rock with the smart home shit. There, there is no Google Alexa, Siri, none of that convenience technology anywhere in my home. And I, when I go hang out with my friends, I either tell them to keep their phones in another room if they have all of that stuff on, or I tell them to turn off their Siri because I just don't like our devices that are constantly listening to us at all times. And if you, I'm not going to lie. I always thought that. (laughs) Yeah. And if you enable, if microphone access is enabled on your phone, that means microphone access at, at all times. If you're not saying, Hey Siri, if they really wanted to, I always thought that like, 
Like what, right. how, how, do, how else do you think they're fucking listening and hearing for Hey Siri? Cause they're listening the entire fucking time, <laughs> you know, like the whole entire time or Google play and Alexa and all of these like smart homes, man, there's ransomware that happens at hotels and shit with, um, the elevators that don't have buttons anymore. And you're stuck yeah. in there was an entire hotel that was shut down because somebody hacked into it from another country. And there was no way for people to get in and out of that place because everything was locked down based off of the microchips that were enabled. And wow. it, it was wild, right? Like the system was entire, entirely locked down. I think there was, there are doors that people were able to get out, but elevators and whatnot, you weren't able to use. Um, so with all of this, what I call convenience technology, and what we do is convenience clicking, right? And what I'm trying to bring in and make a conscious clicking cool and hit for people um, so that we can just be mindful in our actions and understand like what our digital exhaust is. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, look at the internet like an ecosystem. If we all keep building really fire tools and amazing apps and great technology, but we're not keeping security in mind. Like you go on websites and they say not secure, right? Then, and you make a transaction on that website and that website gets breached. That's your credit card information. <laughs> you know, people just aren't connecting dots because we just want convenience all the time, all the time. Um, so with the frictionless stuff, um, we're, we're living in a state of mass surveillance right now, and it's extremely scary as it relates to our lack of privacy rights. There are people getting arrested for Facebook posts. Um, anything that you say and do on the internet can and will be used against you in the court of law. Oh. Tracing is on our phones. We are on lockdown, government-sanctioned lockdown, and there are actual bills running in our system right now to end encryption to allow law enforcement full access into any encrypted channels that we have, which give oh. visibility, more visibility into the oppressor. And then we have nonstop phones. Like I have so many thoughts on all of this and, and just the way that technology is moving and how we just don't a ask any fucking questions. Like at all, at all. Everyone's just, they're screen zombies, but that's a part of the social media manipulation. Right. And that's why, that's why big tech and the antitrust hearings that happened, I, like people just, I, I don't think people are understanding what the fuck is really happening. And that's mm. why I've been hitting everyone's lines. Like, yo, let me get on your podcast. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell everyone these things because it, it, from the inside, like my core, I, I fear for what is to come with lockdown mass surveillance, oh. lack of questioning, no dots are connecting, and we are in a revolution. Oh. Right? So, I mean, like, it, it's just, there's just a lot. There's a lot to think about when it, when it comes to mass surveillance. And that's, that mass surveillance and privacy, again, it doesn't relate to, cyber, it relates to cybersecurity, but you can be extremely cybersecure and not be private at all. WhatsApp mm. is a really great example of this. Um, mm. And I say, I've said, mentioned this in podcasts before just because I think it's a really relatable example for people. WhatsApp, yes, it's encrypted end-to-end -end messaging, but WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. 
So. Yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> that, that's the interesting thing about about what's that. That's so funny. I have a partner who, man, he won't even message me on a regular text message. Like it has to be WhatsApp. He don't even have the iPhone. He still got the flip phones. Like he uh he he, he takes it like all the way back. But um, wow, you hit on so many things that I felt. So I want to ask you another thoughts on something else. First of all, I do think you're the person for the job because you, 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 you explain it so eloquently. And so in a way that, you know, I feel like everybody can understand. So shout out to you. Um, but, uh, I remember, remember those, those apps that are out that like you can, that traces your face. Who's oh. those apps? Like remember the app, but it was making everybody's face look older. Like the find yeah, out what the face swapping, all of the filters that we have everybody on Instagram. Oh, y'all, not, and it was like a Russian company or something like that, a foreign company or something like that. I'm like, oh, like hold tight before we, like they did they, they they're tracing your face, like they have your face ID. Like is that the smartest thing to do? You know what I mean? Like, but nobody's questioning. It's like a game. It's like people doing it for entertainment, and nobody is questioning this. And it's like. It's just crazy. What do you, what do you think? Yo, yo, the, the entire, okay. These are connections that I have made recently with just sitting down and writing my thoughts. And you think about the creative industry, you think about creatives in general, right? And I know you guys are very much rooted and focused and work with creatives and doing creative work. So I think this will resonate with your listeners and who are the best creators Black people, right? 23 ancestry.com. Who are the people that don't know their genetic history? Black people. Black people. Mm. Who are the ones that are being pushed through large entertainment agencies and organizations to use mediums and platforms that spread your creativeness? TikTok, Mm. Instagram, Facebook. What are those organizations doing? TikTok records your every, like, think about what TikTok is doing. It is just duplication, right? They created an entire, um, like, a model or a, a dance. Let's take a dance, for example, that people are doing. You have millions and millions and millions of people doing these dances from afar, from close, at different angles, and you're recording their every single fucking move. Mm -hmm. And because TikTok has access into your phone, if you're using an Apple Watch, TikTok knows your heart rate. TikTok knows your biometric information. If you have the Nike app, if you have any application that allows access into like your Fitbit per se, right? So -hmm. then you take all of this data and people like... I. I really want to start a show called Conspiracies and Blunts, where I just talk about all my <laughs> conspiracy theories <laughs> and try different and With try different me. smokes of people. I, if, if anyone on Netflix is listening, hit me. I'll do it. Um, or I'll executive produce. Yo, you think, <laughs> but think think about that, right? And so think about who's genetic coded information. And some people think it's wild, and a lot of people in the security industry don't agree with many of the things that I say, but I don't give a fuck because they're not thinking the way that I'm thinking and and connecting the dots. Um, And so we we're just giving and giving and not asking any questions. And I understand, right? Like I have Instagram too. And people say, well, then why do you use Instagram? Why are you using like, you know, 
I'm, I accepted the fact that they are taking that information, but I also need to get this information out to people and that's where people live. Right. So there is this, this balance, but is there a balance because big tech doesn't give a fuck about us. Right. So then how do we take the data and take control of the data? And there are a lot of organizations that are trying to get people paid for their data, like Angela Benton with Streamlytics. Yeah. Um, there's Bowhead Health, uh, a healthcare organization that allows you to participate in research and give consent if you want your data to be used and they'll pay you for it. Um, mm. I am working, uh, I'm advising into a privacy monitoring application that we're building right now to help people understand, yo, like how much is your data worth? And do you know what your rights are? There are reparations for your privacy in, Cal in the state of California and different places. But like, that's mm. the thing, all of these dots, these connections, like people just, people just don't know, you know? And that that's just, that has to do with that the higher, like, you know, the surveillance, the manipulation, the genetic modification and whatnot, that people will say, like, that's not real, blah, blah, blah. Like, that shit is real, man. This is, and if you don't watch sci-fi, like in one of my videos, I said, I watch sci-fi and I smoke weed. And this is why I get all of these connections made because... Mm. In my opinion, there's so many things from sci-fi books that I read years ago that are actualizing today, like straight up actualizing today. Yeah. Um, and so I try, especially in the creative field, I try to explain to folks like, just be mindful. Even when you're doing contracts in your business and you're figuring out where you're putting your information, like how your first question should be like, how do you keep ownership of your data? Like, how do you keep ownership of that information? Mm. Um, I know I went in a lot of different directions, but if there's no, so many directions we can go. My stream of consciousness of this stuff is all over the place. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's definitely all additive. So your, your point is really, is the conversation is truly about data and the ethics surrounding the, the use of that data. And I, I often um, have that thought too, because I remember Larry Page uh, was on a panel or a fireside chat or something like that. He was talking about um, being able to have access to everybody's medical records and what the benefits of that are. Because now if you have access to everybody's medical records, it's easier for you to, you know, uh, group and segment the population and see, you know, what medication works for this population or what are the symptoms that these people all over the world are experiencing. So that's like really benevolent. But then on the other side, you know, people can engineer diseases and stuff. They kind of, you know, um, they hit a graphic and everything as well too. Yeah. So that point, like, do you, do you, um, how do you feel about the positive side of, have an accident or is there a positive side to you? I think, I think there is. And I, I just did, um, I had a conversation with the people from Bowhead Health today and there was a gentleman on there that, um, is working on ethical AI. So ethical artificial intelligence and there are groups like cyber collective and so many other privacy application groups, EFF. Um, and if you go on my page, it's below, but there, I have all of it listed 
the privacy groups that I recommend, um, there are a lot of people that are fighting for uh, ethics around our digitized world, around technology. Um, and yes, there is a middle ground. And I think what's tough though, is the fact that we haven't questioned anything and we've allowed, we've given consent to so many organizations that have been just um, unethically redistributing and using our data for things that they probably shouldn't be using it for. And there's no ownership. The person, we don't have ownership of our own data, of our digital identities even, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But there are groups that are working on it, like Bowhead Health, like Streamlytics. These, there are privacy. I mean, right now, I would say from an investment perspective, um, there are a lot of uh, firms, VCs, that are investing in privacy monitoring applications. I think one trust just got a two hundred and thirty billion dollar round of funding. Mm. Um, and they're monopolizing the industry right now too. So there's there's a lot of a lot to it. Um, I, but I do think that there is 100% a positive way to do it, but the people need to know what the hell is happening, right? Like we have the power to make movements, to make strides. And the reason tech has been able to get away with all of this shit is because people just haven't been aware. And now with COVID, I think through this pandemic, it's been positive in a way that the contact tracing people are like, wait, you're about to do what? You can trace everything on my phone and, and it is a positive thing. But I think that people are starting to right now ask relevant questions and that will drive the change. Um, but we all have to be participants of that change, right? When you're doing business with somebody and if you go online and their website says not secure, send them an email, be like, yo, get some SSL encryption. What's up? <laughs> Just pay for it. Right? Or advocating to our website platforms like Squarespace, Wix, and WordPress and whatnot. Why, why is that not included in the service? Why is it a separate line item that somebody has to pick? Why is that even an option? Like why wouldn't it's fifty dollars extra? Add that to the whole to the whole cost for hosting a site so that people just have the security, but we haven't been demanding it. Um, so it's starting to happen. There are consumer privacy laws that are reaching. Um, you know, it was really pioneered through the EU with GDPR. But now California is, um, there are 13 states with real privacy laws that exist today. And another uh, 16 or something like, or 36 of them have bills in the committee. But people like, people don't know this shit. So no one's voting according to those policies. And that's the whole manipulation and propaganda. We vote based off of what is commercialized versus the actual policy that's happening mm -hmm. within um, committees. But that's a whole separate conversation. Absolutely. That's a, I, f I feel you on that point, too, because... A hundred percent. OD, OD. As you know, um, you watched the movie Enemy of the State, Will Smith? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I just knew it would have been like a thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> have you guys seen The Great Hack? No. No. I will give you both $5 each and, and so you can get an icy and watch <laughs> The Great Hack. I beg you. I beg every listener, every creative, 
And I beg you to tell people that you love and care about before this election to please, 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 if that's if there's one thing you can take away from this podcast listening or any of the work that I do, watch The Great Hack. The Great that- Hack, it's on Netflix. It's a documentary that exists. Um, it talks about the 2016 election and Cambridge Analytica and the case against um, this data aggregation company and how Brexit trumps candidacy and other politicized movements have been infiltrated, influenced, and completely manipulated by data. Um, I also recommend reading the book, The Algorithms of Oppression by Safiya Noble. And it just talks about how even our Googling is biased, right? You Google pretty black girl and see what comes up. You, you Google black girl, see what comes up right? You Google doctor and only white doctors pop up. Now there are people that are messing around on Google and, and oh, yeah, really, they did the- really funny stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, our internet was built on white supremacist beliefs. It was a bunch of white people that built the internet. So the system is, is made based on their biases and these algorithms, these biased algorithms exist so deeply so deeply on our computers. Um, but the great hack, yo, I beg you to please watch it. And then I want to come back on the show and, and hear the mind blowing, uh, feedback that y'all have once you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you real quick. So whenever I, more, more recently, whenever I, um, handle financial stuff online, I've been using the VPN. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, VPN and the virtues of it? Yeah, um, a VPN is basically a virtual private network. That's what VPN stands for. And it basically just encrypts the connection and your communication from one place to another. And uh, leveraging VPN is really helpful because it helps protect your IP address. It helps protect your identity. It helps prevent a lot of the kind of like spam and ad tracking and what we call spyware and adware that lives based off of the model that you know Facebook, based Facebook, Google, all of these big tech organizations created. Um, we get a lot of targeted advertising and targeted information, and VPN can help block that as well. Um, so I, I have an article on my website on how to choose the right VPN. I also have um, an article available of you encrypted file sharing tools that you can use that I also recommend using with VPNs. Uh, but I'm, I'm very proud of you for using a VPN when doing your financial work. People also use it to like uh, watch shows or from different countries and, and get access to news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, I'm not going to blow myself up, but I, there was something I needed access to Yeah, from another <laughs> space. So I had to make it do what it do. But um, yeah. How do you use it? You download something, you download or you go on a website or how's Super simple. You find the VPN, you download it, and it basically just sits on your computer and you are doing all of your browsing the way that you would normally. Um, there's Tunnel Bear, there's uh, there, um, Nord, VPN, there's, there's so many. Um, I will say though, don't use the free stuff because a lot of times the free stuff is just the hacker. And so it's just mm. a fake VPN that you have now given full access 
to your device and all of, and, and when there was a huge push for VPN in the market, a lot of those fake VPNs came up, right? Um, it's another method of phishing and social engineering mm. that exists. Uh, but if you pay for it and, you know, wired.com, they have a lot of good articles about VPNs as well. Um, you'll be able to decipher between what's real and what's not. And most of the time, the ones that are paid for, or if they have an enterprise leg as well, in addition to something for individuals or small business, um, it's likely to be a good tool. Dope, dope. I want to um, uh, switch gears before we close out. Um, yeah. You've been able to ascend in your industry and you've been able to find opportunity and, and really um, just, uh, you know, succeed. Um, what's one thing that you've learned from your journey on how you've been able to elevate that you can share with our audience? That's a great question. And one of uh, the biggest lessons that I have learned would have to be um, taking risk. Mm. That has allowed me to really push through and get into the spaces. And I think that's broad enough to apply to a lot of different elements of how we approach things, but just not being afraid to take risk. Uh, I think that will drive you forward and help you really reach wherever you want to reach. If you're just kind of shameless and going after what you want. hundred percent, hundred percent for sure. So spoken like a true sales rep. Yeah. You know, <laughs> take the risk, go for it. Hell yeah. Franz, I don't know if you had any additional. Nah. Cool. So we asked all our guests this. You are on the Gym of Society podcast. Um, we love the work that you're doing. We, we, we have our support. We salute the platform you've created. What keeps you driven? Um, what drives you to wake up every day, consistently push, consistently um, put work out there, put your 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 um your message out there to keep people mindful about their privacy or just even you know just what pushes you to keep going to elevate your life and and create and make something of yourself. Helping people, man. There are so many good people that are out there in the world, and I everything that I've had has been through created through community and my family and my friends and. I want to give back and, and help everyone understand how critical this is. And I think that really is right now for the work that I'm doing, my biggest driver, especially when I don't want to make content or do this. It's just so crucial to get it to people and um, helping others and making sure that people can really stay safe because this, this is serious stuff. It's, it's really, really serious. Um, and that's what keeps me driven to keep going and pushing. All right. You have it. Yeah. We appreciate you, Taz. Thank you for coming on the DS podcast. Please um tell everybody where to find you, your socials, um, you know, not too much. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh techwithtaz.com and then at techwithtaz on Instagram and Twitter and Cyber Collective is uh, on Instagram and Twitter as well. And you can find it through my page. Follow. I bet we gotta definitely do a part two and maybe do like a, you know, a, a, like a post election. 
Yeah, the gray hat and blue. And, and, have to watch it. Or we could record live from the Matrix. Right? Yeah. The gray hat uh, and blunts episode. We got to do. Yes, the gray hat and blunts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, truly my honor. I really appreciate it.